Go ahead and take a seat, please. On January 24th, 2016, Nathan Chen did what no other person in history had ever done before. In a single long figure skating routine, he successfully landed four quadruple jumps. In case you don't know, a quadruple jump involves somebody jumping up in the air, and while they're in the air, turning a full 360 degrees four times and then landing it. Now, if you're anything like me, as you're watching that happen, you say to yourself, well, I could do that if I wanted to. Now, imagine that somebody did want to do that, and you went and you looked for a coach, and you said, hey, I know how to skate. I just need to know how to do these flip things. Do you know what the first thing he might have you do? It's going to put you down in an office chair. Say, so far, I'm doing pretty good. I can handle that. And then they're going to start to spin you around and around on that office chair because you need to learn how to find a point of reference as you're spinning because if you don't learn to do that you're going to get so disoriented see the thing about spinning around and around is that your inner ear gets all mixed up you get anywhere between dizzy to some of us might get something a little less respectable happening to us in a context like that and yet over time if you practice spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning Eventually, your inner ear adjusts, and you could stop spinning, and you could walk in a straight line. And that's the first thing you need to do with a whole lot of other things to learn how to do a quadruple jump. I think Proverbs teaches us that character is formed in a very similar way to neutralizing the effect of spinning. You have to start in something that is very, very small. You have to repeat it over and over. And eventually, over time, you might develop into being able to do something that at the very beginning, there is no way you could have done it. Forming character, then, is more like taking a barren yard and working the ground and planting seed and watering it. It's more like that than laying down sod, where in a moment of time, you have this transformation and you have this change. As David Brooks says, character emerges gradually out of the mysterious interplay of a million little good influences. In our sermon last week, as we talked about Proverbs, I mentioned that how you manage your finances in Proverbs is less concerned than who you are as a money manager. The who is a really, really important thing in Proverbs. But now I'm going to probably confuse you by saying now the exact opposite, which is who you are as a money manager and as a person is formed by how you do things with money. See, it's not an either-or choice, it's a both-and. What you do influences ultimately the kind of character and the kind of person you are. So what I hope to illustrate this morning as we look at Proverbs is this idea that Proverbs is going to teach us ultimately about character formation. In fact, we learned in Proverbs 1 verse 3 that, 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 that character culminates in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. That's the kind of people that God wants us to become, but we become that by the practice of certain behaviors over time with small, often repeated actions. And as you do that, you'll grow in character. So I want to look at Proverbs as we look at the development of character, and we also look at what Proverbs has to say about money. We're going to look at three lessons, and here's the first lesson. Number one, the pace at which you obtain money impacts both your finances and your character. We're going to compare what uh, we call fast money and slow money. 
Proverbs 20, verse 21. An estate quickly acquired in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. 28.20. The miser is in a hurry to get rich and does not know that loss is sure to come. 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to want. 13.11. Wealth hastily gotten will dwindle, but those who gather little by little will increase it. Proverbs offers us a warning about fast money. And we want to figure out why, if money starts off in such a flare, with fireworks, with such enthusiasm, why is Proverbs saying the end of fast money is not going to be good? So we're going to look closely at Proverbs 11, or 13.11 to illustrate. And there's a focus here initially on how the wealth is obtained. If you looked at several translations, you'll notice there's a very different understanding of what that means. NIV speaks of dishonest money. New American Standard Bible speaks of money obtained by fraud. American Standard, money obtained by vanity. Or New Revised Standard, money hastily gotten. What everybody does agree on is that this is talking about money that is gained by some type of shortcut. The, 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 the actual wording comes out of this idea that it's money that comes out of a whiff of air. It, it comes out of nothingness. Now, Proverbs, we know there is a way by which we come to money, and that is it comes from God, but it comes through hard work. So anything that shortcuts this process where out of nothing you get money, Proverbs is going to be concerned about that. Proverbs is concerned in our language, we'd call it with get-rich-quick schemes. That's fast money. And the irony, isn't that what most of us pursue? Isn't that what most people want? Isn't that really the American dream? You start this little business in your garage, and in three years, it's worth billions of dollars. We want fast money. And yet I wonder why Proverbs seems to be so skeptical about fast money and instead points us towards slow money. I think we find that the reason is because in the process of acquiring wealth, by means of hard work, we are also acquiring something else, and it's called character. And character and wealth have to grow in kind. So wealth and character grow together like a pregnant mother and her baby. You ever notice that as the baby grows, the mother grows as well? That the baby is supposed to spend nine months in the womb, and the womb provides the baby what it needs during that time period? But what happens if the baby is born prior? It's called a premature baby. And the concern is that the baby might not be strong enough to survive in this now more hostile environment outside of the mother's womb. And wealth and character are formed in tandem in a similar way. That as wealth grows, what is intended, that also our character grows. Our ability to handle wealth grows as we learn slowly, little by little, how to manage and to oversee our wealth. That's why in Proverbs 13, 11, money hastily gained will dwindle. And that's not a statement about money. It's not saying fast money is more transient than any other kind of money. It's saying that that money will be growing in a proportion that is faster than the character of the person who's earning that money. I wonder if that's why 78% of NFL players find themselves bankrupt or financially stressed within two years of retirement. I wonder if that's why 60% of NBA players are going to be broke within five years of ending their careers. If your character does not grow at the pace that your money grows, the benefits of money, you will find it will dwindle quickly. If you come to money by means of a shortcut, 
you will find that your character will be lagging behind. And your undeveloped soul might not be able to deal with what we talked about last week, the dangers, the temptations, and the limitations of wealth. I'm going to read a quote, and I'm not going to give you any context to this quote. If something like this happened when I was in my 30s, it would have destroyed me, and I would have destroyed all my relationships along with it. What is the something like this? Is it an accident where somebody was paralyzed as a result? <clears throat> was it a sudden job loss? No, the something like this is a book that was written that spent over 18 months in, in the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller. It's a book that earned over $10 million in royalties. And in reference to that book, the author William P. Young, the author of The Shack, said, if something like this had happened to me, popularity, success, wealth, when I was in my 30s, it would have destroyed me, and I would have destroyed all my relationships with it. Do you hear what Young is saying is paralleling Proverbs 13, 11? Wealth hastily gotten will dwindle, but those who gather little by little will increase. Be careful with instant wealth. And if you're experiencing slow progression in your wealth, be thankful because God is giving you time for your character to develop. Lesson number two. When you live modestly, it often positively impacts your finances and your character. And we're going to just have a very simple definition of living modestly. We'll just simply define that as living on less than you earn. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. Precious treasure remains in the house of the wise, but the fool devours it. The fool never allows anything to accumulate. As soon as the paycheck comes, he rushes out and he spends it. As soon as the tax return comes in, she goes out quickly and spends it. As soon as the Christmas bonus arrives, they go out and it's all spent. The fool never allows anything to accumulate. As soon as it comes in, it is simultaneously spent on something they want or desire. And if you do that, as soon as money comes, it goes. It not only has a negative impact on your finances, it has a negative impact on your character as well. Because you become a person who cannot practice any form of self-denial or of self-control or of self-restraint. Do you think that a person who lives this way will honestly be able to follow this passage that calls us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus? If you can't say no to yet another upgrade on your phone... If you can't say no to another upgrade on your vehicle, if you can't say no to another upgrade in an article of clothing, do you think you will say yes to the cross that costs everything? In Proverbs, we practice saying no, because as we say no, we are developing certain behaviors that over time, when repeated, will form a certain kind of character. There is in the Bible a virtue on learning to live on less than we earn, there is a value in not always wanting and needing more. There is a value in being able to say no. As I think about the fool who devours everything, I think about a controversial concept uh, proposed by a guy by the name of Joe Dominiquez. Joe wondered if there really was such a thing as cost of living increase. And as soon as people hear that, they have probably the same reaction you have. Of course, I remember when gas cost 25 cents a gallon. It now costs $2.20. Things become more expensive over time. 
And Joe doesn't disagree at all with that, but he says a lot of the situation that people are in is not because the cost of items have increased. He instead talks about it as a cost of lifestyle increase. We just simply need more than was needed before. So he uses, self, he uses phones as an example. 20 years ago, an average family four might spend $30 a month on phones. If you have two teenagers and there's four of you in a household, do you think you're spending more than $30 a month on phones? The average household spends over $200 a month on phones. It's not that the cost has increased. It's just simply we need more. Our lifestyle has increased. And whether you agree with Joe's proposal or not is not the point, but it's thinking about how much our lifestyles over time are slowly increasing. And what does that do not only to our finances, but what does it also do to our character? Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will suffer want. Whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. Wine and oil symbolize these rare occasional luxuries. They're the kinds of things that you enjoy at weddings and at feasts. And yet what happens when a person is not content to wait until the next big event? What was once a luxury becomes an everyday necessity. When, when, when you no longer have the ability to say, I will wait till tomorrow, I will have self-control. What does that do to the soul? And what does that do to our finances? A person who indulges every character will find him everything, will find himself bankrupt in character, and will likely find a bankrupt account as well. I think as humans, we have a nearly unlimited capacity for lifestyle inflation. Do you know what sociologists have found out? There's a, there's a repeated, no matter where they've done this test, of how people define what rich is. What rich is is double whatever I have right now. So you ask people, what is, a, what is an income that you would consider a rich person to be earning? And if they say $60,000, you will find that most of the people who gave that answer are currently earning $30,000. If they say $60,000, if they say $120,000, it's because they're currently earning $60,000. Ask them about net worth. If they say it's $5 million, it's because most people's net worth is probably $2.5 million. On average, double would make us rich. And here's the thing. We have an unlimited capacity for lifestyle inflation, don't we? If you give me $40,000, I'll find a way to spend it. If you give me $80,000, I'll find a way to spend it. If you give me $200,000, I'll find a way to spend it. I have an unlimited capacity for lifestyle inflation. But what happens to the personality and the character of a person who cannot reserve certain luxuries for certain days and times and instead thinks every luxury, they need to have it now, and they need to have it daily. What happens to our finances? What happens to our character? Proverbs 12, 9. Better to be despised and have a servant than to be self-important and lack food. So in the first line, the person is despised because he only has one slave. A slave's value is about 30 shekels, so this would be a person who is very, very low on the financial scale, but they're, they're independent. They, they can get what they need and provide what they need in a very limited way. And yet they are despised by people because they're never going to show up in Forbes magazine. They're never going to be interviewed in Money magazine because they just simply live a very, very simple lifestyle compared to others. But the second person is somebody who lives beyond their means so that others will look at them and be awfully impressed by all they have and all they've become. Here's how I'd put the proverb in a contemporary setting. It is better to drive an old Chevrolet Spark 
Even when people tease you saying, you're still driving around that old beater. Then to hear people say, sweet car, as you drive around in your eye-catching Tesla, but you're unable to feed your family. And as silly as that sounds, isn't there a temptation there for all of us to say, I would rather have something showy and flashy, even if it's something beyond my means? And I hope you're getting the point. Once again, we're not just talking about money here, are we? We're talking about character, the character of a kind of person who has righteousness and justice and equity. And they're not concerned just by what other people think. They're not out just simply to impress other people. They're going to slowly and consistently do what's right. And over time, their character is going to be formed in a certain way. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But wisdom is with the humble. Think about how often pride seeps into our financial decisions. Don't you want to be seen in a certain way? And do you ever spend money in order that you would be seen in that way? We want to be seen as polished and buffered and impressive. And who wants to really be seen as they actually are? Wouldn't you rather people say, wow, business must be going really well, than for people to look at you and kind of shake their head and say, I'm glad I'm not in their financial situation. People of a godly character don't go out of the way, their way to make other people think there's something they're not. If you can only afford a 15-year-old sedan, drive a 15-year-old sedan, not a two-year-old truck. If you can only afford Kirkland brand jeans, wear Kirkland brand jeans, not American Eagle. If you can only afford to take your lunch to work, take your lunch to work and don't continually eat out with everyone else because you want to impress them. Instead, think about the character that might be formed if you tell people either that's not something I can afford or that's not something I'm willing to spend my money on right now. Your character is formed in repeated actions slowly over time. Lesson number three, avoid debt because debt impacts your finances and your character. A debt simply is a binding obligation to pay later for what is received now. And as you look throughout Proverbs, Proverbs does not encourage debt. I think debt is discouraged because it binds us to someone or to something apart from God. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Once again, this is a descriptive proverb, not a prescriptive. It's not saying this is what should happen. It is saying, in fact, this is what often happens. And what we find here as we speak about debt in the Bible is that debt is often connected to ownership, obligation, and freedom. And those who bind themselves in debt do not have the freedom that God sometimes wants his people to have. If you think about the book of Deuteronomy, God is teaching his people after he's brought them out of the slavery of Egypt, and he's telling them how they ought to live and how they ought to behave. And so Deuteronomy tells Israel that if they are faithful, if they are obedient, they will be blessed and then they will lend to many nations and borrow from none. But then in the curses section, God will go on to say that if they are disobedient, they shall lend to you, but you shall lend, not lend to them. They shall be the head and you shall be the tail. In Proverbs, the person who lends has the advantage and the person who receives alone has the disadvantage. Is that true today? Do we see debt as this thing that we ought to avoid or do we see debt in a very different way? 
Now, you might say, you know what, Craig? People can't be enslaved for debt today. That's very true. But you can be bound to things, obligated to things by debt. I wish I could do that, but I'm in debt. I would love to be a part of that, but I'm in debt. The primary detriment in the Bible is to be obligated to something or anything or anyone other than being obligated to God and his leadership in our lives. The other reason debt is discouraged is because it gives us something today, something that possibly should be reserved for the future. Agur said, feed me with the food that I need. Proverbs 30 verse 8. But what if God doesn't give you the food you need or the clothes you need or the car you need or the whatever else that you believe you need? In America, we have a very simple solution. I will lend you the money. That becomes our solution in a way that if God doesn't give us what we need, we can find our own means, our own method to get today what maybe should be reserved for tomorrow. I believe money can, debt, borrowing money can have a detrimental impact on our finances and on our character. Have you ever met a kid who you can tell nobody in their life ever said no to them before? And what happens to us when we grow up? If we never say no to ourselves, we might just turn into that very kid. Randy Alcorn says that there are certain patterns of a debt mentality that he finds concerning. These are that the debt mentality says we need more than God has given us. The debt mentality says God doesn't know what our best needs are. God has failed to provide our needs, forcing us to take the matter into our own hands. If God doesn't come through the way we think he should, we can find another way. Doesn't mean that borrowing money means you're not a person with virtue. But it does mean that we need to approach debt with extreme caution. Ask yourself, does my habitual borrowing impact my character? Is borrowing money helping me to become the kind of a person who will say to God, not my will be done, but yours? Does borrowing money indicate anything about impatience, greed, or pride in my life? And if any of those answers are yes, then I think that you need to rethink your approach to debt. So this morning we learned three things about finances and character. Number one, we learned that the pace at which you obtain money impacts your finances and your freedom. Living modestly positively impacts your finances and your freedom. We learned that we need to avoid debt because it always impacts your finances and your freedom. And I want to finish with a story that I think illustrates what Proverbs is trying to teach about money and about character. This is a story about Tennessee Williams, and ever since he was a young boy, he wanted to write plays. In fact, he did write plays. The problem was nobody wanted to buy those plays, and so he did what most struggling artists do. He took other menial jobs, just anything that he could get to pay the bill. But in 1944, at the age of 33, he wrote a play called The Glass Menagerie. And he said at that very moment, he was plucked from virtual oblivion into sudden prominence. He went from flea-ridden hotel rooms to a suite in a first-class Manhattan hotel. And yet during the following months, he said he, he grew increasingly miserable. He ordered the best steak the money could buy, but by the time the food arrived, he would look at it with scorn and contempt. He became cynical of people. Friends would call and tell him what a great 
play it was, and he would wonder whether they were really trying to work some kind of an angle to get some of his money. And over time, he slowly became depressed. Eventually, he decided to move to Mexico because he thought that it would be a place where he could escape, escape his fame and popularity. And in fact, it was. There was something humbling about the circumstances, and he knew he needed more humble circumstances than that first-class suite in Manhattan. And there in Mexico, he said he quickly forgot the false dignities and the conceits he had received from his wealth. And he said it was there that without the public pressure that his natural being was once again resumed. And here's Proverbs' take on Tennessee Williams' life. He got wealth before he got character. And like a premature baby, he suddenly found himself in a situation that he wasn't mature enough to handle. Like a person who sat on the office chair for the first time getting spun around, his sense of inner calm, his inner ears were disorienting to him. He was dizzy in his environment. Life was spinning so fast he needed to adjust. And so what he did was he found another environment where the spinning would stop long enough that he could begin to develop the character necessary. And once his character developed, he was able to get a perspective and a handle on his wealth. So I think there's a few things for us to keep in mind. First, find virtue in the little or in the lot that you have today. Sometimes we need to be thankful to God that he allows us to practice in little ways, in little things, because we know character is formed in small, repeated actions over a long period of time. Go slow. You can't rush soul growth. And you never want to make money faster than the soul will grow. Practice saying no in small things. Sometimes even say no to something you can afford. Know when enough is enough. Know how to keep extravagant occasional luxuries simply as that. Things you joy, enjoy on extravagant and occasional times. Avoid debt. Remember that there are some things that are good for tomorrow that might not be good for today. Keep tomorrow's things in tomorrow. And when you do these things, maybe one day you'll look back and realize you weren't just managing your money. You were forming and you were developing your character. You develop your character in the kind of a person who can live faithfully and generously with whatever God blesses you with. And maybe as you grow into that kind of person, you'll be able to begin to learn not just in financial circumstances, but in every circumstance, you'll learn to say, not my will, but your will be done. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And realize that as we go into the world, we don't go by ourselves. We go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God bless.